0: You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast.
1: And now here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Hello. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Can you tell we are a skosh tired? We are so tired. Yes. Welcome to All the Things. Good evening. I am Monique Dussan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is All the Things, the show where we talk about all things related to God, life, and the Bible from a historically Christian perspective. Welcome. Welcome. And helping us on the show tonight is the wonderful and
0: fearless Bob Bontrager. Hey. And Emily's in town. Yay! Round of applause. And Abby's in the background. Living gonna, her best life. Living her best life. Are you, is she going to... There she is! It, the whole family's here. It's very happy. Yes. Uh, And we just want to thank all of you for joining us. Maybe some of you are joining us because you saw us at the
1: Biola on the Road conference. Biola on the Road. Yes, we were on the road. If you saw our little snippet earlier, I'm tired. I was on the road. Boy, I tell you for (laughs) real. Yes. But before we get into that, you were at. um, Well, before we even get into that, how was your week? How was my week? Uh, It was good. I'm working on.
0: This teaching series on the law right now on my YouTube channel. And um, I have two more episodes written. I'm about to record them. But in the meantime, I thought it would be fun to go through the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and try to categorize. All
1: the laws. Yes. Yes. And because <laughs> I don't know I what I was the last three days with you, I have heard. Did you know there's a law about this? Did you know that there's a law about that? Do you know that if your neighbor owns a donkey and a pigeon and one of them dies, you have to walk seven miles in their shoes? I'm like, what kind of law is this? What kind of law is there's this? There's some
0: laws there I'd never, I'd never seen before. I was like, oh, hmm, I wonder what this means. So now I've really dug myself in a hole. Yeah, because
1: you can't go back after that. Law. I know, and there's no turning back. That's point right, B of the law. But I will have, um, at least one, if not two episodes, uh,
0: in that series up this week, and uh, so people can watch for those. So that's what's happening. And how was your week? I remember, Look
1: at yes, that. yes. <laughs> My week was delightful. I spent the first couple of days um, here at home and then went down to San Diego to join you at Biola on the Road, where I represented Women in Apologetics. See my shirt, Women in Apologetics. I don't know if you can see it because of the lower third, but yes. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Women in Apologetics. Um, it's kind of like Superman. I'm, like, ah, I'm a woman in apologetics, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm tired. Um Where we were down in San Diego and talked to many people, met a lot of people, many people who had watched the show before. And I was like, wow. People were recognizing you. Yes. You're Monique. I was like, and you are? (laughs) Yes. I was a little thrown by that. But, um... (laughs) It's really good. Good feedback. Good um, to hear that people are catching the show and it's helping um, people. Yeah. really interested. Um, I got quite a few comments of people who were interested in critical race theory and didn't know what it was and said that a lot of our content was helpful. And so I was appreciative for the kind words and comments. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. We're going to give some more detail about all of that
0: later in the show. And, uh, We're also, we want to highlight how you can help us with the show. There's two very practical things that you can do. Uh, One of them you can do right now, and that is hit the share button. Yes. Share the show, share the show, share the show, because uh, all of the uh, feedback that we were getting at the Biola on the Road conference from our colleagues was, you have amazing content. And we need more awareness (laughs) because there's just not that many people that are aware of the show. So we need your help. So if you enjoy the show, click that share button and let your
1: friends know about the show. Yes. And the other way that you can help support the show is by buying a T-shirt and supporting our show's fam or our family. Sorry. Sponsor. Um, Sponsor. Yeah. So it's a, family two ten, and I see. Oh, we're having a Black Friday sale on Amazon. Maybe
0: uh, Bob can tell us about that. That's right. We have a Black Friday sale. If you go to our the shirts that we have selected on Amazon, uh, you, they're five dollars less than what they normally are. So you go to bit.ly/family210 to make sure that family, the F there is capitalized. That'll take you right to the Amazon store. Uh, if you put the lowercase one, it takes us to the regular store. But the ones on Amazon, we have specially selected. And they're most of them are like $5 less than what they normally are. So you can save $5 that way.
1: Awesome. Christmas gifts, everyone. Or a Thanksgiving gift. Well, it could be a little late for Thanksgiving. But, you know, like a post-Thanksgiving gift. like <laughs> Thank you for the turkey and cranberry sauce gift. You know, get your auntie a shirt. Mm-hmm. Yes. There it is. There it is. I like that. Yes. So, and we are,
0: uh, we always like to highlight the show from last week. We had a huge show last week. Our friend Natasha Crane was on the show and we talked about parenting and having strategic conversations with your kids about their faith. And we got to know Natasha a little bit better yesterday and yeah. had lunch with her down at the Biola event. She gave a great talk about marketing yes. to the group. So um, a group of apologetics leaders. Monique got to sit in on that, so
1: that was good. Yeah, um, her books are how to talk to your kids about God and how to talk to your kids about Jesus, Jesus
0: and keeping your kids on God's side. Yes, that was her first book. Yes. So, and we um, also had a great conversation last week about what, just what are those essentials of the faith? We always hear about, you know, the core of the faith. Who determines that? How do you arrive at that? So that was a, that was another good. Conversation. That I think we some had. of those
1: apologists that we were with today just are like, hey, this is going to be a core of the faith this week. <laughs> yeah. No, they were really smart, though. I will tell you that. Boy, my brain was throbbing. You know, All right. We'll get it into, into it. So, we also want to invite everyone to
0: join us on the chat. uh If you are uh, on YouTube, join us on the chat. Be sure to tell us that you're watching and send us your questions on. God, the Bible, in real life, uh, and uh, we will field those. You can also hit us up on Facebook. Bob uh, helps us check those sometimes to uh, keep us abreast of what's happening over on Facebook and what you guys are posting there. So, okay, let's get into it here and um, talk about. What do you want to do first? Do you want to do like the the debrief from this week, or shall we do the the Christmas topic? I kind of want to do the debrief first. Okay. Yeah. All right. Kind of, you know. All right. I've, we've talked about it quite a bit. All right. Well, let's get into So I went to ETS this week. Mm-hmm. Um, if people go on my public page on Facebook, um, I did several sh- very short videos. Yeah. ETS, thank you, Bob, stands for the Evangelical Theological Society. Uh, for those that don't know. And basically this is like 2,000 theology nerds all at the same hotel, uh, listening to academic papers being read. People don't use PowerPoint. People are not dynamic speakers. You crowd into tiny rooms with very few chairs and very little air conditioning. And you listen to people read papers in a monotone voice. It's big fun. And um, there are just a lot of different topics. There's different, Uh, tracks that you can do like old testament new testament they might have a patristic track on the ancient fathers they might do like an american christianity track or um uh paul's letters or uh, philosophy there was a lot of philosophy section uh sessions so you go to all of these different papers they're usually in three and a half hour blocks Oh. And, and you listen to four or five papers back to back. And then there's sometimes some Q&A and engagement about that. And so I posted on Facebook what papers I went to. Uh, some of the papers I went to, not all of them, but uh, it was good. I mean, you you get to hear <clears throat> people working on their research uh, before it's a book. Hmm. So they might go and present a paper and then as you're listening to it, part of the academic engagement is you try to very politely shred their argument and maybe disprove it or ask questions to see if you can undermine their arguments. And then they go back and they work on it and refine it and it might eventually become a book in three to five years. Okay. And so a lot of the papers that people present are research that they're working on, new ideas. They come to ETS, they present them and they, they receive the feedback. Sometimes their feedback is hard. Sometimes everyone just sits in the room and thinks, yeah, that was pretty good. I don't have anything to say about it, but um, that's kind of the nature of the, of an academic meeting is that, you know, there's, there's sometimes new and novel ideas presented. Um, And you get, you have to have a PhD in order to present. So I would not be able to present at ETS because I don't have a PhD. I'm like an associate member or it, it's kind of like being a junior member, but mm-hmm. they call you an associate. That's cute. Uh, yeah, I know. That's cute. It's very cute. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, it's, it's, it's a great time is it is very nerdy. Uh, and then I always remember like why I'm not in academia anymore. Cause like that's fun for me for about a week. And then I kind of feel like it's enough already. And,
1: I want to come back to real life. <laughs> so, That's interesting. Yeah, but it's good. So it's a like a big. Is it not a? It's a presentation and then debate or argument session at the end. No, it's I'm more confused. like I didn't go. Some it, it's it's academic
0: papers that are read, and a paper takes thirty minutes to be read, and then there's a discussion. Okay. Where you can ask the author questions about the paper.
1: So, but you're trying to prove him wrong?
0: It, a lot of times, that's the fun of it, is to ask questions and to poke holes or see if there's any holes in the argumentation. Cause that's, that's seen in the academic world as helping, that you're, you're actually helping the person to strengthen their arguments. So this is how academic people think you have yeah, to Because
1: I feel like you slamming me on my knees. No, it's, it's, it's,
0: it's very different than <laughs> how we are in the media and in the real world. It's, OK, it's, I will. I will it's take your word for it. As a, as a it. culture, this is how we're going to conduct ourselves. And it's all very polite. But yeah, so that's
1: what it is. Oh, we awesome. have a,
0: a question about Hanukkah. All right,
1: cool. We'll get to uh, that. Yes. And. Then so, we went to Biola on the road. We did.
0: And uh, we went to Biola on the road, which is always a big conference, apologetics conference after ETS. And so we're, ETS travels like two years ago is in Providence, Rhode Island. Last year it was in Denver. This year it was in San Diego. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's going to be next year. But uh, yeah, there's the. A on the Road event this year. The theme was reasonable faith in an uncertain world. Yep. And they have a bunch of speakers come there. And uh, this time it was two evenings and a day, like during the daytime. So it was a Thursday night, Friday night, and then all all Saturday morning. Um, But... Great event, and so you worked at the uh, Women in Apologetics booth.
1: I did. I worked at the Women in Apologetics booth, okay. and then I went to some breakout sessions, um, met some people. I thought it was really interesting. I am not from the world. Oh, yay, there's Claire. She is a Wea Women in Apologetics team member. She yes. handles all of their conference service stuff. Logistics. Yeah, thank you. That's the word I'm looking we, for. It would not be very
0: organized without Claire.
1: I'm glad that she was there. She's a very bright young woman. She did handle a lot of things. I just had to show up and smile. Yeah. Yes. Um, So you guys were working the table. We worked the table, um, went to some breakout sessions. I went to one on justice, and then I went to one on tactics by Greg Greg Kokel. Kokel from Stand to Reason.
0: Mm -hmm. It's funny because Monique doesn't know who any of these people are, so she's not in awe. No, and I love that. She doesn't know the superstars. She's like,
1: who's Bill Craig? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, people are like, oh my gosh, there goes Bill Craig, or there goes William, oh, I, William and and, H- and, and Bill, Bill are the, the same. same guy. That's yeah. it. But everyone was in, like, all over Greg Kokel yeah. and Craig Hazen, like, all of these people, and God bless them, I just don't know who they are, and that's okay <laughs> for me. I, I don't really know that I need to know who they are, but, you know, um, everyone was quite in awe, and so there was that. Um, I got to have a few good conversations yeah. with Craig Hazen, um, Scott Smith, both professors at Biola. So I yeah. appreciated that. The Tactics Talk by Greg Coco was good. Greg Coco has a new book coming out. It's the same book, but just a little bit revised, Upd- updated.
0: updated. It's a 10-year anniversary of Tactics. Tactics is a great basic book on how to talk to non-Christians or anybody that you disagree with, really, but how to do it in a respectful, thoughtful way where you can talk about any topic and know nothing about the topic by using his approach. Yeah. And uh, it's a great it's a great uh, resource. And I think um, maybe there's even some people who don't know what the word apologetics means. And we we're talking about an apologetics conference uh, after going to your first apologetics conference. What would you say
1: apologetics even is? learning how to argue or defend <laughs> your faith, um, the giving understanding the reasons why you believe what you believe and being able to give those reasons in a way that, for the most part, is highly intellectual. So I like the talks that I went to that felt like they were more for lay people um, because I don't really want to have conversations that are all the time, like just very heady philosophy-ish kind of talks. But I would say that, Apologetics is a tool to be able to talk to someone about your faith and understand exactly what you're talking about so that you can persuade someone or win someone over for Christ or at least win the next conversation like you say. Yeah. But um You went to the transgender talk. I went to the transgender talk yeah. as well by um Rodney Lake. He's really doing some good things I think in the the world of transgenderism and understanding what all of the LGBTQI um, information is I am parentheses because sometimes it's included. Sometimes it's not, but the, the talks that I went to were great. Scott Smith talking about justice and critical theory. What does justice look like? How are we defining justice? Uh, where does critical theory come from and is it creeping into, to the church? And so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed all of the talks. I also heard um, what's his name? Gary, Gary Habermas. Haber Nassi, Habermas. There it is. Him. He spoke on, give me one second, people, but it was really good. Um, I heard him this morning. He spoke on, you know what, it's a wash, people. But I really liked him. I did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Gary Habermas is probably one of the foremost no, he,
1: authorities on the resurrection. And he He's, talked about the resurrection, but he talked about the proof that it was real and that the events actually happened by how close the writings were after it happened. So so um, some people want to say that, like the book of Luke or the book of John, isn't necessarily credible because of how long they were written after the event, like 60 years. Yeah. But we believe that Buddha was real and that all of his things happened, but their writings were 800 years after the fact. Yeah. So the closer the writings are to the event, the more historical significance they have. Yeah. And so he was proving that by saying, hey, look— um, Thessalonians was written 20 years after the death of Jesus. So this would be a more accurate account because it's so close to it. Yeah, The writings of Paul, Paul's conversion happening between two and five years after the death, burial and resurrection of of Christ, yeah. and so I thought that was amazing. I had no idea about any of that. I was like, okay. And then um, Craig Hazen talked about fearless prayer this morning, and just the idea that we can come before a very good God and make our requests, and that prayer is asking and making a request. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoyed all of it. It yeah. was good. Yeah, you're looking at me like, man, you remembered all that. Yeah. I'm surprised. I'm impressed. That's because let me tell y'all the real. So I was like, I can multitask. I can be on my computer and listen. No, you can't. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I had a really good time. Um, thank you to Rachel Shockey and Women Unapologetics Apologetics for sending me and allowing me to go. I was able to go to the ALG. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I know what ALG stands for, but it's some kind of something for leaders and apologists <laughs> and um, Dr. Fuzrana from Reasons to Believe invited me to that. And so it was just a very good time of meeting and connecting with new people and having a new experience in the realm of apologetics. Thank you, everybody. And thank you for bringing all of this up into the forefront of people who would not otherwise know that I would be interested. Well,
0: (laughs) I guess what I thought was so great about the whole experience was just how many new people there were there. I mean, there was a lot of high school students at the conference Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of parents there, a lot of people getting engaged with the conversations about faith for the first time, Mm -hmm. you know, even though they've grown up in the church, um, maybe they don't know exactly how to talk about what they believe or why they believe it. And I kind of steer clear of using the word of apologetics. I haven't really used that on the show before because it can have a really negative connotation because people do think that it is about arguing. And I try not to do that so much on the show, but it is a little bit of what we're trying to do here. But just for regular people of how do we talk about our faith? How does our faith connect to the world in which we live? And that's really in a way what this show is about Mm -hmm. without using those, those big words.
1: So I agree. Another thing that I thought was super interesting was that, On numerous occasions, I had people come up and talk to me about shows that we've done. So like, oh, my son or daughter is no longer walking with the Lord. And then I saw your Natasha Crane episode and, you know, it helped me to be able to, you know, have different conversations and understand that, you know, we just need to not like necessarily bulldoze my child with religion, but have relationship and I can, you know, get a resource and, or read a blog and understand a different way to connect. Yeah. So I thought that was helpful. Um, a lot of people uh, had
0: seen our woke church, episode. woke church
1: episode. Uh, yes. I've been
0: watching our race videos and just, they were so encouraged by what we've been trying to do with, with that project. Mm-hmm. That was great. Um, and Monique had a lot of great conversations. In fact, we have a picture here of us with Dr. Scott Smith. He was a new person. I had never met him before, but he's working at Talbot in the area of social justice. Yes. And we went to his talk and uh, hopefully you guys will get together for coffee soon and yeah. talk some more. But he is, was a great a great guy and we had a, a good time at his session. And he's kind of more of the, I would say, like the philosophical muscle of talking about critical theory in in that session what you and i are often doing is like okay how do we take all this academic stuff and translate it for regular people yeah regular people Mm -hmm. regular everyday conversations but uh dr smith is certainly doing some some great things there Uh, he
1: don't know i'm about to start calling him uncle dr smith (laughs) we about to be real close uncle dr (laughs) smith yes Yeah.
0: So, yeah, we had a good time getting to know a lot of new people. So, yeah. So,
1: anything else on yeah. that? Anything else stick out to you? No, I I just
0: thought it overall was just so good to meet people and and hear what's encouraging to them. A lot of people came by the Reasons to Believe booth and were encouraging very just is talking to them about how that that ministry has mm-hmm. has helped them and in, in, in their faith or sharing their faith and several um, younger people came by high school college age, uh, they were very interested in Fuzz's um, transhumanism book that we talked to yeah. him about on the show a while back. Um, yeah, a lot of conversations about artificial intelligence yeah. with uh, Doctor Swearingen were happening at the table. So yeah, it was just a really good time.
1: Yeah, I, um, I would hear people whisper, "Hey, that's that's Hugh Ross, that's Hugh Ross." <laughs> So, You're so funny. Yes, and
0: uh, yeah, I, we will. Our uh, Hannah Marie is is uh, reminding us that we will be at the WIA Conference happening in January twenty fourth and twenty fifth at Biola. We will be talking, doing our new dog and pony show on uh, critical race theory, and uh, mostly it's going to be Monique doing the 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 stuff. So. I, I'm just kind of there. Not a dog there. and
1: pony show, people. I'm just sort of there are. as the
0: backup singers, but it'll be good. And so if you haven't yet registered for the Women in Apologetics Conference, now is the time to do it. You can get the best price. Yeah. And hear some amazing lady apologist mm-hmm. speakers.
1: So yes.
0: it'll be good. Okay. Right.
1: Should we talk about Christmas? Yes, I am. I, I'm not quite ready to talk about Christmas just because it's not, it's, Thanksgiving, it's not yet, Thanksgiving yet. yet. But... If we're in that vein, yes.
0: Well, I put a note on Facebook. Uh, what do you want us to talk about? And uh, the thing, one of the things that came up was the question: Is is Christmas a pagan holiday? And there was a graphic card, but that's okay. Oh, sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, is Christian a pagan holiday that Christians shouldn't celebrate? And this question comes up every year, and I actually have been researching it recently because i'm preparing a talk uh for my employer Mm -hmm. on christmas and so this is part of that talk and i was like oh i could talk about that um i've actually been looking into that a bit and so you know i think that this is kind of the concern here is that christians may have co-opted a secular holiday uh the that people who were worshiping the sun uh, that they co-opted the winter solstice on December 21st or some other um, mid-December holiday that were celebrated by pagans. Christians come along as kind of a missionary enterprise and co-opt that holiday and then say, okay, this is when we're going to celebrate the birth of the Savior. And the concern is, is that well, maybe Christians shouldn't even celebrate Christmas because it's really rooted in a pagan holiday. Mm-hmm. And there's no Bible verse telling us that we should celebrate the birth of Jesus. And maybe that's just really not a good idea. So that's that's kind of the concern. I'm just curious, have you ever heard this question before? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've heard that along with... Um that jesus wasn't actually born in december he was born in the spring so oh, okay. why are we celebrating um his birth a- in you know in the winter or in december it that it was the mixture of you know some other event or other holiday and yeah
0: then christian just sort of we just came tagged along, along yeah. yeah was like hey i'm gonna
1: jump on this, this day too christianize this yeah yeah
0: now it is clear that Christians did celebrate, for example, the resurrection right from the beginning. Like that was for the early Christians, the pivotal moment for them. And that was clearly there is a biblical warrant for celebrating the resurrection of Jesus.
1: Which I think is interesting that we in the American church, well, we have Easter. Yeah. And we celebrate that. Um, Did did the early church celebrate the ascension? As well? Yeah. Because we don't celebrate that. Yeah. Now, in my travels abroad, there are other countries that do celebrate Ascension Day. And so I find it odd that we would maybe miss that, but I don't know where we kind of threw that. Well, to the side a,
0: American Christianity has a tendency to not really follow the Christian calendar mm-hmm. as robustly as Christians historically have. Okay. So if you go to a more ancient faith tradition... Like in the Coptic Church or the Greek Orthodox Church or even in um, the Roman Catholic Church, they follow what's called the Christian calendar. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we think about something like Advent, it's the five Sundays leading up to Christmas, and there's this this anticipatory time of of waiting uh, as we wait for Jesus to come and kind of be born in all of our hearts again every christmas similar with lent mm-hmm. lent is the 40 days prior to the resurrection and that's another part of the christian calendar ascension sunday trinity sunday and then if you get it in the coptic calendar and the other orthodox church calendars i mean they can have a lot of feast days holidays um uh, my friend was telling me about that Jonah has a, uh, th- has his own feast day, and it's a three day fast. And Mira- oh, it's a
1: fast. When yeah. I think feast days, I think eating. I was definitely <laughs> like, yes,
0: <laughs> three days.
1: Yes, because yes, I am ready. We we need to adopt some of these feast days. If I got to, fast. <laughs> You probably don't want to convert to, to being Coptic because they, they fast more than anyone. I'm a work in progress, though. <laughs> Pray for me.
0: But, uh, you know, they, they celebrate, you know, Mary Magdalene has a day. And they, you have to
1: fast on that day. Not
0: necessarily. Like some of them, I don't know. I'm not as conversant in some of those more minor holidays, but that would be a fun show I need to do. the feast days. Yeah. But the Christian calendar is more celebrated if you're in, maybe an Anglican uh, or Episcopalian or Catholic, um, those sorts of things. So yes, you might find that in other traditions or in no, other parts was of the just world. So
1: regular, uh, it's, I well, mean,
0: Americans tend to be fairly um, minimalistic. We do at, what we want. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm trying to be a little bit tactful I about mean,
1: it. And so. I, I'm just bringing this up because in South Africa, it. I mean, it was a church, or not even a church, but like the school day closes yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Like it's Ascension oh, wow. a, it's a big
0: day. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they
1: have also a huge population of Muslims and so there are Muslim holidays as well. But I just remember thinking, wow, you guys get the day off on Ascension day. Yes.
0: <laughs> Pentecost
1: Sunday. That would
0: be another one. All right. So anyways, so back to our question here of is Christmas a pagan holiday? Uh, Now, it is true that there are no mention of Christians celebrating the birth of Jesus in the earliest Christian writers. So while the resurrection was a holiday that was sort of there from the beginning, um, for example, Irenaeus and Tertullian, which takes us up from like the 100s to the early 200s, there's no mention of Christians celebrating the birth of Jesus But when we get to the writings of uh, Clement of Alexandria, somewhere around 200, um, which is still pretty early in the church's history, that's really the first mention of Christians celebrating the birth of Jesus. And like you were saying, they celebrated it in the spring Mm -hmm. of when it was thought that Jesus was born. Now, do you know why it is? that it's thought from scripture that Jesus was born in the spring. You know why that is?
1: Because, and well, because they had the cattle yeah, and they wouldn't be out in the fields. The sheep. The sheep. Yeah. It says that the shepherds watch their sheep at night. Yes. And if I was a shepherd, my sheep would be in the house with me because it would be cold outside. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's not too far from how it was. Yeah. So the thought is that that little clue that Luke gives us is that Jesus was probably born in the spring because the shepherds were out with their sheep Uh at night. At night. And if it was December, it would have been too cold. Like they're not going to be outside in, in December. So that's one of the textual clues that seems to be born out in church tradition that when they did start celebrating the birth of Jesus, it was in the spring, um, in the early 200s. That's that's the first
1: mention that we have. Can you imagine that. waiting for somebody to celebrate your birthday 200 years later? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'd be like, can we get, can we come, come a little quicker, please? <laughs> but never mind. That's just my take on it. Okay. So by
0: the mid 300s, there's pretty good um, attestation that, the birth of Jesus was pretty widely celebrated on December 25th. Uh, so it, it, it's somewhere in the Nicene post Nicaea, you know, when Christianity uh, stops getting persecuted, uh, they stop getting killed all the time, thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. When Constantine converts to Christianity and they have the Council of Nicaea in 325. Things start calming down.
1: They didn't have time to celebrate in December. They were busy. Yeah,
0: they were too busy running running. for their lives. But by the mid 300s, um, it was widely practiced that Christians would celebrate the birth of Jesus and that it was on December 25th. Okay. And um Some people may wonder, why does the church in the East celebrate Christmas in January? Do you know why that is? Like your Eastern Orthodox friends, your Ethiopian Orthodox friends, why do they celebrate Christmas in January?
1: You got me stumped on this one. Yeah.
0: So the Eastern and Western churches are on two different calendars.
1: Do they... No, I, that question wouldn't have made okay. sense. But okay. So
0: they're on two different calendars. One is the like the ancient calendar and one is the Western calendar. But if you work it all back in time and you align them, both churches come together and we're celebrating on the 25th of December. But the reason that it's different now and Eastern Orthodox people celebrated in January is because the, they're on two different calendars. And we in the West changed calendars. <laughs> In the medieval period. It's all very complicated. There's that. So uh, there's a great video about all of the confusing calendar situations on YouTube. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes uh, by an Orthodox uh, artist. So our question here is, did Christians choose December 25th as an alternative to pagan uh, solar festivals? I don't think so. I'm, I'm not convinced that that's what happened and here's why there's no textual evidence that the ancient christians um mentioned re-engineering the calendar to align with some kind of pagan holiday like there's no evidence that that that's what they did there's there's no textual case that can be made where the fathers said hey i've got an idea let's let's co-opt this this holiday and then import christianity into it and since it was church-wide it would seem to be a necessity of kind of propagating that Mm -hmm. and but there's no textual evidence that that ever
1: happened uh i see you pointing so yes I'm i'm trying to subtly point yeah, you know I got long fingers, so it's not that subtle. Yeah, there are some comments before we finish or keep going. Yeah, um, I'm going to get to Hannah's question in just a minute. Let's go back up first. Yes, um, Stu Blue, too. I do agree. Yes, one would be fun. By along the road would be fun, and one would be a snooze fest for me too. <laughs> um, let's see here.
0: Uh, Susanna says being in liturgical churches. I know Susanna's been in. Um, Episcopalian church for several years. She's a friend of mine. Uh, She's come to love the calendar. So she came like me, grew up in the Baptist church. We grew up in the same Baptist church. Mm -hmm. We didn't really celebrate the Christian calendar, but when she went over to Episcopalianism, which is American Anglicanism, uh, she said she's learned to love the calendar. I think of it as being a year long play in the life of Christ and the church. And that is exactly what it is, Susanna, is we are following the rhythm of the life of Jesus in the Christian calendar. And, uh, definitely something that can be very, very rich.
1: Um, Neil, my friend, Neil, Neil Umali. Hi, Neil. Um, Neil says, I think it's yes and no, it's not a pagan holiday. If it's about our Lord Jesus and it is pagan if it's about everything else but Jesus. Who preach? Come on, and Neil can preach. Neil will come all Calm the way now. through for you. That yes, he will. Is that is a great point. Paula says that she agrees with Neil. Um, Gregorian says that's not true. Shepherds are out during the can winter in East- Israel. You- Sorry, I am just off yeah. mic. Let me go ahead. I'm just a little too relaxed. Um Gregorian says that's not true. Shepherds are out during the winter in Israel. Okay. Well, That's I have to know I'm I'm not
0: I, I will freely admit I am not an expert on shepherd patterns in Jerusalem, but this is what I've heard. So I will dig deeper. Maybe you can send me a Google link. Uh,
1: Let's see. i was trying to go through them. Oh, um, now Paula said she went to a, uh,
0: uh, a lecture recently where they were talking about Hanukkah and how Hanukkah corresponds with December 25th, um, when you align the calendars. And so that's kind of an interesting point. I've never heard that before. So uh, Hanukkah is the winter uh, Jewish festival celebrating the salvation of the Jews um, from persecution Mm. under the, uh, the emperor Antiochus Epiphanes, which happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, so she had gone to a recent lecture about the Jewish feast And it was brought up that when you align the calendars correctly, that the Hanukkah would have been on December 25th. So I don't know anything about that, but that's a cool point.
1: Hannah Marie says, how did iconic symbols of the Christmas tree, Yule log presents, presents and stockings arise during the celebration of Christmas? Yeah, that's a great point. So, Let me just kind of, um,
0: get to that because I, that, that is connected to, to this question. So I, as I said, I'm kind of arguing that I don't think that, uh, December 25th was a co-option of a pagan holiday because there really is no textual evidence for that, um, also, I think what's really critical is this this quote from Clement of Alexandria that as early as 200, the Christians were already celebrating the birth of Jesus. Hmm. That's very early. And they're still under persecution at that point. Um, they are not a legal religion at that point in the game. And so the idea of borrowing heavily from pagan traditions— That would not be to their advantage at that point. They were trying to really be separate from the world around them. And I don't think that there would have been any motivation for them to, to co-opt a pagan holiday. Um, And so there's, there's really no evidence for that. They were a persecuted minority at this time. They were really focused with distancing themselves from the culture. They didn't want to resemble the culture. Hmm. And um, everything in the literature kind of points to it being that way, because this is the time when they are um, still being killed um, many times for their faith. So this is all before Constantine, when Christianity was still illegal. Now, going to Hannah's question, it is true, I think, in looking at some of the evidence that I've studied, that some of our Christmas traditions— such as the yule log and holly and Christmas trees were later kind of practices that came in during the medieval period. And those were more borrowed from other, um, pagan practices and rituals that were happening around that same time in the calendar. And so based on what I've seen, There is some evidence that those particular practices did have prior associations with pagan traditions. Um, So that part of it is, I think there does seem to be some credible evidence for that. Okay, let's go back to the comments here. Um, yes. Gregorian says they use the Julian calendar. That's right. The Eastern church uses the Julia The I'm sorry. The Western church uses the Julian calendar. Um, and the Eastern Orthodox or the Armenian Orthodox have a separate date, which is January 6th. Um, and that is the standard date when Christmas is celebrated in Eastern churches. So if you know someone who's in the Orthodox tradition, I, I always try to remember to wish my Orthodox friends, Merry Christmas in January. So, okay. you know, after uh, we've done that. Um, so let's talk about Christmas as a commercial driven holiday. I think uh, going back to your friend Neil's point of it could be a pagan holiday, depending on if Jesus is really celebrated. Yep. And, and I think that that is an important point. Um, is ha- what do we do as Christians to kind of keep Christ as the focus because like this whole practice that we have about giving gifts sometimes i hear you know the argument that uh, that's based on the, the wise men bringing gifts to jesus and that's why we give gifts i don't know
1: if there's anything to that but that's Please don't bring me frankincense well maybe you can bring me frankincense <laughs> and i don't even know if that was the gifts that the wise men gave i'm just taking a guess yeah, well, that's, <laughs> okay. in, that's in okay. matthew okay, good yeah matthew too yeah, um, let's see. But oh, so I think to that point, though, giving gifts is one thing. But when maybe I don't know, and you can tell me your take on it. But when it becomes so elaborate and exuberant that it takes the focus off of Christ and his birth, then maybe that is something that we should be reflecting on in our heart's motive and all of that. Now, I, I've heard the argument that. God is a good giver and that he, you know, every good gift comes down from the father of lights yeah. and that he is the one who provides for us and he wants us to have nice things and all that. So why not give lavishly?
0: I think it's, I don't know. Yeah. it's. I feel so conflicted about it because there is a part of me that um, does believe the father is generous and I do kind of have a belief that, Sometimes it's really good to be generous with your kids, to show them a model of how the father loves us. Now, sometimes I wish financially I could be more generous with my kids. I would love to buy um, a kid's uh, a car or, you know, something amazing. One of my children would like a dog. Uh, But I think there is the other side of the coin of not going into debt. Like, we don't mm-hmm. want to spend foolishly um, and and break other laws of God, you know, in order to, to quote unquote, be generous. So we've got to balance that out. And I think, you know, when we're gift giving to keep it in mind of what can we afford being wise, uh, we don't want to get into thousands of dollars of debt by January where you've, you've got a real spending
1: hangover. You go into the new year with all your baggage from <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. So here's a question as a parent, what or what were for you and what are um, maybe as a recommendation, things that parents can do to help keep Christ at the center of their Christmas?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. We're getting some good interaction. We on are. This. So I,
1: I was like, yeah. Do I wanna ask my question? Or... Yes, Gregorian. Come on through. Come on through. Yeah, I don't know who Gregorian is, but he seems to be a person of information. Yes. Uh
0: but uh yeah, I think I mean I I'd be this. curious what you have to say about this and too. I mean, keeping Christ in Christmas. I mean, I think um just a very small thing that we have done as a family is always taking time to read the Christmas story before we open the presents. Mm. Um, and just having that be part of our family rhythm, um, that we always go to church on Christmas Eve before we, uh, we have a family tradition of opening a significant amount of our presents on Christmas Eve. And so having a family rhythm of going to church first, um, before we do that, um, I think we try to, um, talk to our kids about, You know what we're doing and why we're doing it and not making the the gifts are fun, but not making that the end goal Mm -hmm. of of what Christmas is about. And as parents, you have to have those conversations because everything in the culture tells the kid, you know, that it's it's about the gifts. And so there has to be some level of intentional conversations, I think. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think those
1: are good. Um, wow. From a children's ministry perspective, I would always one go through the Christmas story, and then we do a um, like a birthday party for Jesus, and kids can bring their gifts. But understanding that it's also from the aspect of God gave, Christ gave, we give. How how are we giving? Um, is it, I guess, more. Blessed to give than to receive. Um, what is our heart's posture as we give? Can you imagine giving your son, giving the best gift that you ever had ever, you know? And, and what does it look like to, you know, want that game and see kids coming in and like, I really don't want to give this. I really <laughs> like this, you know, but what does it mean to give something that you really, really want to hold on to and just understanding on a very, very small silly level in some ways that god gave the thing that was closest to his heart the person that was closest to his heart and yet we have have problems even just letting go of really small things so how do we how do we give that's cool
0: so gregorian is continuing to talk to us about shepherds
1: hello gregorian thanks so much for all your um comments that's and information awesome. yes yeah.
0: Says you can still go today and see shepherds out in the winter in uh, around that area. That's awesome to know. I, I've never heard that. I've always heard the opposite. So I'm going to have to look into that. uh, LOL. Sorry. No, you're good. It's it's all good. good. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to dig deeper because I've, I've only ever heard the other narrative. So now, now you've piqued my curiosity. I'm going to have to look into that. Um, Paula is continuing. Boy, if you guys aren't on YouTube, you're missing out on some like amazing comments tonight. Um, Paula is giving a masterclass in there about um, the feast of dedication and Hanukkah and the Jewish calendar and how, if the calendars were aligned with Jewish calendar and the Western calendar, uh, it would fall on the uh, 25th day of Kislev, which I'm assuming is, would correspond to our December. Uh, And it does mention, I do remember that it, it mentions Jesus celebrating the Festival of Lights um, when he was on earth. And so that was a, a festival. It's a good example, I think, of a, a non-biblical festival that is not mandated in scripture. Because sometimes there's this this legalistic thing of like, well, if it's not in scripture, then I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't celebrate it. Yeah. But I think Hanukkah is actually a good example of a non-biblical holiday that Jesus celebrated he didn't condemn them for celebrating a festival festival of lights, even though it's not mandated in the Mosaic law. It, it, It was a practice to help them remember and commemorate something that was very important in their history. And it's mentioned in John that, that, um, it was part of, um, Jesus's awareness and he doesn't condemn it. So I think that's, that's interesting. Um, So our friend Annette says, I think non-Christians need to stop celebrating Christmas. That's kind of an interesting perspective. And I'm I'm wondering if maybe what's behind that is that non-Christians are essentially kind of co-opting our holiday, you know, because we are focused on the Savior's birth. But now Christmas is becoming secularized Mm -hmm. and, you know. I th- maybe what she's kind of going for is uh uh that they're kind of hijacking our holiday. And Gregorian says Gregorian, I need to know where
1: are you coming through from? <laughs> you are I, you got words with like 20 letters. Yes, Gregorian, I don't even know what that word is. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That's that's her department cuz she's a theologian. So Gregorian says it's
0: biblical for non-Protestants as we have the deuterocanonicals. Okay. Now I know that you're either an Anglican or you're Orthodox, but that's cool. Um, and or
1: maybe he's not. And he just is like, <laughs> bam, I got you. I got all he the says, information. He, he says we have. So that makes me think that. He's, oh, maybe we. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But that's cool. Gregorian, I, that's awesome. Yeah. So keeping
0: us on track. And I would agree something. that for, for Protestants, it's more of a stumbling block because we exclude the intertestamental books from our canon. And so the Festival of, Festival of Lights is something that's part of the intertestamental books. But for those Christians that include those books as part of their canon, it would be a biblical um, holiday. However, I I'm trying to remember... And maybe Gregorian knows this. So I'd have to look it up, but I think that
1: Gregorian, um, would you like to sit here? Uh, I, I could. We need to talk.
0: I, Where, <laughs> I think that I'm trying to remember if the Deuterocanonical books are part of the Septuagint, which would have been the book, the uh, book of Jesus, the Bible of Jesus.
1: Okay. So All right. Wait. Paula says there is no historical evidence. Of oh the yeah, Christmas the Christmas tree, tree being pagan. However, the Norse pagans would bring in evergreen bows, 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 sorry. Because they were alive
0: <laughs> There's that. Oh, Gregorian's a Catholic. He says he's a papist. Okay.
1: Very good. How do you think public schools should handle the holidays?
0: That's a great question. Let me
1: go back to the Christmas
0: tree, our Christmas okay. trees pagan thing. Now, my understanding of this is that the Christmas tree practice was actually started by Martin Luther, or shortly after that, that maybe Martin Luther was the first one to bring the tree in the house. But I've also heard that um, that was sort of borrowed from other people. And this, this kind of mentions it here about the Norse people bringing in evergreens. So I don't know if those are connected or unconnected traditions. It's, it's an interesting question. Most And you're right, Gregorian. Most New Testament quotes of the Old Testament are from the Septuagint. Yes. When the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, the Septuagint is the Bible of the apostles and of Jesus. Um, but I am wondering if the deuterocanonical books are in the Septuagint. I just can't remember. Um, so, yeah, it's good. Uh, That's
1: in shot. Sorry, good, friends. You're good
0: conversation. Sure. All right. What are we doing over Sorry. here? All right. Great discussion tonight on the yes. comments, you guys. Yes. Yes. All right.
1: Wait. How what? do you think public schools should oh, public schools. holidays? Yeah. Yes. Susanna wants to know about
0: public school. Um, Well, I don't know. Uh-uh. It, it, it's hard. I mean, you told me something interesting about South Africa,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that in South Africa, there's kind of parallel cultures
1: all having to cohabitate public schools at the same time, mainly Muslim and um, Christian and Christian. Yeah.
0: But that both calendars are honored. Mm-hmm. So how does very that very respectfully, how does that work? I mean, that, that you have a secular government honoring religious holidays. Like how do they work that out in South Africa?
1: Oh, goodness. I'm trying to remember. I feel like both holidays would be, um, would be recognized and for some, so like if kids I'm a, would get both holidays off. That was my question:
0: Is like if I'm a Muslim child, do I get different holidays off than the the Christian children?
1: No, if, okay. I, if, if I'm remembering correctly, both holidays, like Eid, I believe it's called Eid. E I D. Um, would during that season, there are times though where children may not be in school, or um, on Fridays, children need to to go to temple maybe if i'm remembering correctly oh are you talking the, about to go to um, to the mosque yeah mosque thank you yeah. not temple um and so school gets out early but school gets out early for all for the kids everybody. and it's mainly in schools um where you would see more high colored influence um the majority of muslims in the the country would be colored and so and not black I think you find some, but um, definitely not white. And white schools would go all the way. Like they don't take those holidays off or make special holidays mm -hmm, or make special allotment. I think that would be something if your Muslim child was in a school that didn't like a. Yeah, they would arrange that with the school. But in like Cape Town, in more of the colored lower socioeconomic status kind of schools, they all get out at 12 or something like that so that th- the Muslim children have time to get to the mosque. Um it, I just, I feel like in the beginning, well, not, I feel like in the, in the beginning of the school day, they do the Christian prayer and they do the Muslim prayer. Oh, interesting. It all just works together, the high holy days and all of that. Either they either Muslim kids won't come to school and then you'll just have other kids at school or the school is closed for both during Christian um, holidays. The school is closed. So
0: in general, there's a posture in South Africa of respect for yes. the major religions. Mm-hmm. And one doesn't take precedence over the other. They just have figured out a way to kind of honor Whatever stream you're in, yes, they've they've sorted that out.
1: Yes, and there's no live, shady looks. They live peaceably together, yes. side by side. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And I mean, even though I am Christian and hold to a Christian faith, I would regularly interact with Muslims. We'd go to lunch together. You know, it's there's no no shadiness, no different look. No, I can't associate with you or anything like that. And instead um, a lot of times people would work to figure out where the common grounds lie. And so, yeah. So coming to America,
0: I think that is helpful because our system in America is we're trying to figure out what to do with religion in, in the public square. Like there's some push, that some religions will be honored, others won't, uh, depending on where you live, there's another push of everything in the in the public realm should be completely secularized without any religion whatsoever. Um, I think that for Christian parents, um, we're in a a space where the culture has transitioned, it's gone from... In general, the culture reinforces our worldview or is at least um, tolerant of our worldview to a situation now where that's not the case. The culture isn't necessarily reinforcing the Christian worldview or our values or our calendar. Mm -hmm. So Christians are in a bit of a cultural transition right now because of that. I think it's it's I guess, honestly, when I think about the public schools right now, the last thing I'm thinking about is whether or not public schools are honoring my holiday as a religion. Oh. I'm far more worried about other ways that public schools are attacking my religion, um, specifically the the agenda of um, bringing LGBT um Advocacy yeah. into kindergarten mm-hmm. and teaching children uh, and trying to normalize that issue and, and the worldview that that comes from. To me, as a Christian, that is far more troubling than whether or not my local public school um, is aligned with my religious calendar mm-hmm. at this point. Like, if I got to choose my battles— I'm I'm far more worried about that. I don't know. That's just kind of my thought about it.
1: That's a good point. Um, when you do your research, what search engines do you use? I like scholarly art- articles with thorough research.
0: I think what you're asking me is like not really what search engines, but what what research websites that I like to use. I'm I'm taking the question that way, Hannah. Um, I. It varies. It depends on what I'm looking up. Um, if I'm going to look up scripture, for example, I always use Bible Gateway because I can compare and contrast critical translations and they have the Greek New Testament on Bible Gateway. Hmm. And so I can look something up really fat, fast in the Greek. So if I'm doing Bible research, that's usually what I use. Um there's there's not a lot of quality Bible research tools online. If you really want the good stuff, you're going to have to either buy the books or buy something like Logos software where the books are embedded in the yes. software. Um, but that's Logos g-
1: is a good software.
0: Yeah, but it's expensive. It is, but um, it's a good one. But if you're asking me like what, Books I like to use, um, I like um, for a lexicon, I like is a good basic lexicon is Mounce's um, expository lexicon. It's very, it can be accessed by lay people. It's a good one. I like the InterVarsity Dictionary series, Dictionary of Paul, Dictionary of the Gospels, Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. I mean, they're thick books, but you can find short articles in there written by the best scholars in evangelical scholarship on topics. And those are good. I like the um, IVP Bible background commentary set. There's one for Old Testament and New Testament. That's kind of my go-to. My NIV study Bible from 1984 is still my go-to. I take it everywhere. It's what I teach from. It's still the first place I look. When I'm looking something up is my is the notes in the the NIV study Bible. I know there's a gajillion study Bibles on the market now, but in my opinion, the notes in the NIV study Bible are still among the best. I really like it. And that's honestly my first go to. Then I go to the IVP Bible background commentaries on the Old Testament edited by John Walton, New Testament edited by Craig Keener. Um, and then. Level up from that is the dictionary series of InterVarsity, Dictionary of Jesus, Dictionary of Paul, Dictionary of Historical Books, and, and all of those dictionary sets. That's Those are what I use. Those are my go-tos when I'm doing research, um, expository research on
1: on the scriptures. Guess I um, should move away from Wikipedia, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't. I, Wikipedia has its place. I mean, it's good. Like, if you're just going to have to look something up, like, as a, a definition in a quick and dirty way, you know, like, you just want to look up what well, was it? Something we were looking at the other day, like, uh, some philosophical term. We wanted to know what it meant. And so we just looked it up on Wikipedia real quick. So I can't I, look I, up the
1: Greek on Wikipedia. I, I don't recommend that. All right. Yeah. But there you go, folks.
0: Hope that helps you, Anna. Those are kind of my go tos. Um,. Yeah. Annette's just making a general comment about public schools. They are getting bad. I, um, it's, it's, I think it's getting tough, but I, I think that it's indicative of what's happening in the culture more broadly. Mm-hmm. It's not just a problem in the public schools. There, there is a push in our culture for a different worldview. Yes. And we have to be clear about what's happening. The worldview of critical theory is now the dominant worldview of our culture. And that plays itself out in critical race theory, queer theory, and third wave wave feminism. And that is the dominant worldview that is coming forward in our culture. And it is the dominant worldview that our children are swimming in. It is what they are being programmed to think. And if this is what we were talking to Natasha Crane about last week, if you don't understand what this worldview is, it's really hard to have the critical conversations about faith with your kids because the dominant culture is no longer going to, on some level, reinforce the Christian worldview. Yeah, Those days are over. When, when they leave your house or even when they go to a Christian university now, they are going to be getting, by and large, a different worldview than historic Christianity.
1: And, and that's why it's important to have these conversations with your kids, because if you choose not to or if you're not— well-read to some level on the information on what's happening in culture, the culture is still going to be talking to your kids. Someone's yeah. talking to your kids.
0: Yeah. And somebody is waiting to talk to your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's, it is a very um, hard issue because it's not just the public schools. It is everything in the culture. It's the media, it's the internet and, and, the news, how the framework that it's all coming from within the last three to five years has shifted and critical theory is now the dominant worldview of what's out there. And, um, it is a radical departure from historic Christianity. So if you hear me talk about, if you hear us talk about historic Christianity on the show, we are trying to stand in a stream of 2000 years this is what christians have historically believed um we are not trying to advocate for new and novel progressive theology yeah. um we are standing firm in what christians have always believed and that is um what we are advocating for on this show and trying to help bring clarity about so what is oh, what? what is critical theory yeah that's a great uh question susanna Um, I'll let Monique answer that question. She's the expert.
1: (laughs) Did you like how I did that? There it is. Critical theory is a, what I would call a worldview. It started from the Frankfurt school in late 1930s. And it was a look, a deeper look and investigation into society and how things were being done. How, um, like what was just, what was right, what was really happening within culture and society. And those ideas, they were grounded in Marxism. I believe everyone who wrote um, at the Gregorian School in the critical theory component were Marxists. But um, it's traveled down the time from the late 1930s, early 1940s to, let's see, you jump 30, 40 years, you get the late 1970s, early 1980s, where an offshoot of that Um, becomes critical legal studies and it looked at culture and things that were unjust in the legal system. That offshoot turned into critical race theory and critical race theory looks at the inequalities in race. How do we make sure that things are just social justice? Uh, I'm giving a very quick Quick um, definition. And maybe we should do a video on what is critical theory. Yeah, that'd be good. So that we can have a a definite or like a more whole conversation around that that gives clear definition. Um, So features of critical theory are that everything
0: is individualized. Every people can kind of determine their own morality.
1: It's based on interpretation. Yeah. And so the interpretation though, comes from the individual. Yeah. And so,
0: and your social location. So if you're a woman, if you're poor, if you're living in a different country, um, these are things that all influence and impact your interpretation and your interpretation guides truth. So you hear this phrase in our culture of my truth, Mm -hmm. That is a feature of critical theory. Um, You hear in our culture things about um, white privilege and you hear things about um, the oppressed versus oppressors. These are all features of critical theory. Those
1: are definitely features of critical
0: race that's
1: come out out of the the, the thought of critical theory. Yeah. Let me, I'm trying to think of what else you can, you can. So if we might think of like an
0: umbrella, critical Critical theory theory is like the umbrella idea. And then under that is critical race theory, queer Queer theory,
1: Latin, Latin X theory, and then feminist theory. Yeah,
0: third wave feminism. Now, classical feminism is not part of critical theory. Um, Mm -hmm. And classical feminism actually, I think you can make a case historically, came out of the christian worldview and out of the abolitionist movement but what we're in now with third wave feminism is something entirely different
1: yes and that's looking to dismantle
0: patriarchy if you ever hear the term like dismantle the patriarchy that's third wave feminism i mean
1: even even just in a more blunt kind of situation we were listening to what something on youtube or a podcast or something and they were like annihilate the men and i was annihilate the men yeah oh we don't (laughs) want to do that we we want the men. yes we (laughs) annihilate the men is wrong like and and this woman um definitely steeped in in critical theory and in feminist theory yeah was um you know very upset about the men (laughs) Yeah. So
0: uh, Susanna says it's a form of is it a form of relativism? Yeah, it certainly is an aspect of relativism. It's a it's a kind of an outgrowth of postmodernism. Yeah. Um, it's a very like late twentieth century, early twenty first century movement, and it's really gained steam. I think in the it's been around like Monique says for thirty forty years. Mm -hmm. But it's now mainstream.
1: Yes, it was always an academic movement, something you would see in legal squares, um, legal classrooms. It was a legal way of of thought. And then, um, gosh, I don't know if it's Kimberly Crenshaw or there was someone actually who preceded Kimberly Crenshaw. But that that those people are the ones who really took it mainstream, started writing books about it for lay people. If people have heard Um, of
0: the book White Fragility... Mm -hmm. Uh, that's kind of a critical race theory book, but this has all sort of become mainstream in the last three to five years. Sometimes you hear it in popular culture. It's called identity politics. Um, all of that stuff. So, um, and yeah, so, uh, Susanna, if you want to know more, uh, go check out our videos, I guess is a good place to wrap it up for tonight. Um, is go check out our videos on race and racial issues. Um, Monique and I have a series of conversations on YouTube about racial issues where we talk more about critical race theory, Mm -hmm. which is an aspect of critical theory, but this is really the dominant worldview of our culture. And I'll put a link in the show notes to Dr. Neil Shenby's um, video, which offers a good overview of this It's very accessible for regular people. And you can, find out more. So I think that's a wrap. I'm tired. I'm ready to be done with the day. So um, thanks everyone for the engagement tonight and all of the very fine comments.
1: And um, yeah, it's been a great show. It's been a good one. Yeah. All right. See you next week. Are we next week? week? Yes. Next week. That's it.